You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. I want to turn to Luke chapter 22. I'll be reading there in just a, a few minutes. Um, but you can go ahead and there, take that look at that and get it ready. Um, you know, there's uh, we're looking at this idea of failure today. Um, and I just did, just out of curiosity, I just went, I just did a Google search of famous failures in history. Uh, some of these may be familiar to you, but I thought they were very interesting when you put them all together and you realize how the world would be different today if these individuals had given up or stopped along the way. So Walt Disney was fired early in his career and was told he lacked imagination. Steven Spielberg was rejected from film school three times. John Grisham, how many of you, any Grisham fans? Yeah. Uh, His first book, A Time to Kill, was rejected 28 times. He had to send it to 29 different publishers before it finally published. Uh, This one you may know, J.K. Rowling, who is the author of Harry Potter series, was a single mother on welfare. Her first book was rejected 12 times before it actually became published. Can you imagine being those 12 publishers and saying, oh, we had it right there and we let it go. Um, How many of you know Henry Ford, Ford Motor Company, was his third automobile company? His first two failed. Uh, James Dyson suffered through 5,126 failed prototypes before he landed on the first working Dyson vacuum cleaner. Can you imagine that? 5,126 failures before he found it that worked. Each of these examples speaks to an individual's unwavering commitment to their dream. They believed in it. They knew it would work. They just had to figure out how. The attitude displayed by these individuals was captured perfectly um, by Thomas Edison, um, who he himself failed over almost 3,000 times trying to find the right filament for the light bulb. But he summed this up. There was someone was interviewing him or talking with him, and they made the comment. He said, "Isn't it a shame that with the tremendous amount of work you have done, you haven't been able to get any results?" And he replied, "He said results. He says, why well, I've gotten lots of results. I know several thousand things that won't work." <laughs> <clears throat> I think these, all of these individuals, they epitomize another uh, person. Zig Ziglar was a motivational speaker. His comment was, he said, each failure brings you one step closer to success. Now, how many of you know that not all failures are created equal? Some failures, like the ones we just mentioned, can be overcome with determination and persistence. And we can can succeed if we continue until we find the right way. Some failures, however, can derail not only a career, but your entire life. Some people can come to be defined by their failure. It's the lens by which they view all of their life. While some failures can add to the story of our life, it can create interesting stories later on after we found success, some failures overwhelm us and they can leave us feeling adrift, never knowing if we'll ever find the stability of shore again. Such is the case with the person we're going to look at this morning, now, for the last few weeks, we've been doing this series on um, Encountered by Jesus. Uh, first week, we looked at Zacchaeus. <clears throat> he needed Jesus in his life. He was not a Christ follower. He was curious. He needed Jesus, and so he was searching for Jesus. 
And uh, we know how that story turned out. The week after that, we talked about the woman and a son. Her, uh, the woman's son had died. She was a widow. Her only son had died. She was uh, just in her lowest moment. Jesus happened by. <clears throat> and that encounter changed her life forever when he raised her son from the dead and returned him to her. And then last week we looked at we talked uh, or we just looked at the the ten lepers. One returned to give thanks, and he couldn't restrain the gratitude he felt for the healing from Jesus. Now each of these encounters with Jesus forever changed the person involved, and the person to whom we're giving attention today is no different. <clears throat> Peter is one of the closest of the twelve apostles. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the twelve, one of the closest, one of the twelve, one of the insider group. Peter was a firebrand. Peter was very impulsive. This is the guy in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm on the lake, gets the great idea, huh, I think I want to walk on water. I mean, who does that? I mean, that's, Peter wasn't wired like everyone else. Okay, his, his, just, his brain worked a little differently, but that's who he was. At the Last Supper... So this is just hours before Jesus is arrested, um, the night before he is crucified. At, the, at this last supper, Peter, Jesus is talking, and he looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that Satan won't be victorious over you, and that your faith may not fail. And Peter, again, being who he was, <clears throat> he replied, he says, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And that brings us to the passage we're going to look at here. It's in Luke chapter 22. We're going to start with verse 54 to 62. So if you have a device, you can read that or a Bible, or you can follow along on the screen as well. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. He said, and a little later someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, in this passage here, we get a real sense of of Peter's, um, in this context, Lord, failure, where he certainly had no expectation that, that he would do the things he did, he would say the things he said. He had a whole different standard he thought he would live up to but he fell far short of that in this moment. 
And so, Lord, I ask as we unwrap this a little bit further here today that you would help us understand as well how we should be looking at things in our own life and approaching our own walk with you. And so, Lord, I just ask you to govern my conversation here in the next few minutes, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we actually have a little video. Um, I said little. Video is not length. Why is it a little short? So it's about four minutes. But it's a one. It's it's uh, from the um, the skit guys. It's a one man thing talking about Peter. Or I'm sorry, Peter is talking to us. So it's a first person story about this very moment. And I think they capture some of the emotions of it. So let's go ahead and watch it. They say a rooster crowing is God's wake-up call. Yeah, that's, uh, at least that's the way it was for me. Everything, that, that whole night was a blur, all right? Um, I didn't comprehend, none of us could comprehend everything that was going on, all right? We were all in the upper room, Jesus was washing our feet. Um, then we were in the garden, Jesus goes off to pray by himself. I fell asleep. I'm not proud of it. I had a big meal. Bread makes me sleepy. Next thing we know, me, James, and John, Jesus is in our face, and he's trying to wake us up. And uh, he said, um, what is he? he said, uh, the, the, uh, the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing. And, and then before we know it, Judas is kissing Jesus on the cheek. I try to go help him. I cut off this guard's ear. For the record, I wasn't aiming for his ear. I'm a fisherman, not a swordsman. And then they, uh, they arrest Jesus, and they take him off. And we... We ran. And it wasn't but two hours earlier that we were in the upper room. I was looking at him. I was looking him right in the eye saying, if everyone disowns you, Jesus, I won't. I'm with you. I love you. And I think that's what made me stop, turn around, go back. And uh, I caught a glimpse of Jesus as they were taking him to the high priest's house. Stood at the gate, and some girl comes up to me, starts pointing at me, starts going, You, you're with him. You're with this man that claims to be the Son of God. You're one of his disciples. I felt like every eye was on me. So I just brushed her off. I said, You don't know what you're talking about. You got the wrong guy. I get my way into the courtyard, and uh, it's cold. I, I try to warm up by the fire. And then there's this guy that recognizes me, and he is uh, from the ear incident, you know, and starts going, get him, get him, he's with him, just arrest him, get him. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about, all right? I wasn't with him. It was easier the second time to deny him. It was some time right before morning, and um, this wise guy, he comes up to me and goes, Who are you kidding, all right? Who are you fooling? You're with him. I can tell by your accent. I'm like, this is just the way I talk, all right? And, and the whole night, they kept pushing him around. They kept beating him. They kept spitting on him, throwing insults at him, and I couldn't take it anymore. I had enough. I was tired of people accusing me, looking at me, and I, and I just I said a few things that I'm not proud of, and I was like, leave him alone. You don't know what you're doing, all right? Just leave him alone. I wasn't with him. 
And that's when I heard the most blood-curdling sound I ever heard in my whole life. I heard that rooster crow. And at that moment, Jesus, he turns around and he looks at me. He looks at me. And his gaze, you can't escape his gaze. I mean, when his eyes are on you, you cannot escape it. And they arrested him and they took him off. I will die with you, Jesus. If everyone, if everybody disowns you, I will die with you. What a, what a joke. I mean, what would you do? At that moment, at that time, I ran. I ran so fast. I ran so long. And you know what they did? They killed him. He's dead. Can you hear me? Not all failures created equal, is it? There are a few things that are noteworthy about Peter's failure. I think as you heard the story, as we read the passage, Peter was very confident he would not fail. He said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. I don't think Peter was just saying that to, you know, Kiss up to Jesus. I just, I think he really, in that moment with his friends, with the disciples, with Jesus in that safe environment, that room, I think he was incredibly serious. He meant it. There was nothing false about what he was saying at all. There's nothing, there's no overstatement. He meant what he was wanting to say. I think in that moment he was willing to die if it came to that. Now we, we, uh, he was full of confidence in his ability to navigate the future. Now, we see this all the time in the sports world, don't we? How many of you have ever seen the difference, like for boxing matches, the lead up and they've got the two guys? One's always really cocky, you know, and he's bragging and all these things. You know, it's just, it's just almost obnoxious. And we love it. We love it when he gets knocked out within the first round. You know, because it's like you get your, you know, you're just for behaving that way. And, you know, we see other sports as well where a team gets overconfident. Oh, this is going to be an easy game, and they just and they don't realize what they're in for. They don't realize what's coming, and they fail. Overconfidence can lead to failure, especially as it relates to spiritual or moral failure. Oh, this little bit won't hurt anything. Or this one time won't matter. And yet it does. <clears throat> And in your outline, if you look in the, there in the outline of your worship guide, there's a bullet point there about Peter setting himself up for failure. Um, <laughs> those of you who know that we actually worked in these sermon outlines like th- two or three months ago. I think I must have been gone that day um, or out because I for life me can't figure out what Peter did wrong. Um, so I'm going to skip that point. You now have the answer for the bullet, for the, the, the empty line. Um, 
Because while I can't say that Peter set himself up for his failure, I can say that Peter was wrecked by his failure. You know, when uh, the kids were little, we were living in Minnesota, and uh, oh, probably within an hour ride from us, there's a, it's known as an alpine slide. You ever seen these? It's a ski hill, but instead of going down skis in the summertime, they put up this slide. It's, it's uh, um, yeah, it's like a fiberglass type of thing, and you have these little carts with wheels, and you control it. The steering, the, the, the path steers it for you. And so by pulling in or pu- you know, pushing away or pulling in, you, you actually can either increase friction from the cart, and, and, um, or you can release the friction, and the wheels engage and goes faster. So you control the speed by the, the joystick there. And uh, so you're sitting in the cart, the joystick's you know, in, in between your knees, and our youngest, Peter, was probably too young uh, to do it by himself. He's probably five or six. And uh, so he was going with me. He was sitting in between my legs in the front. And um, so as we're getting in, getting going, Betsy had started off, there's parallel tracks. So she was off. She's probably maybe 20, 30 yards ahead of us. And I'm like, Pete, you want to catch mom? He's like, yeah. So we did. So I'm, 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 I'm going fast, faster than I should go. Um, and too fast, in fact. Now, the, the way this led it, you're not going off the end, so I wasn't worried about that. But what happens, you went too fast around a corner, and the cart slid out from underneath us. And we slid the next 20, 30 yards on this slide without the sled. Um, and both of us sustained you know, burns from the fiberglass and the skin. And oh, I was such a mess after that, not because of the pain, but because of what I just did to my youngest son. Because I'm looking at his arm, and he's got these burns, and what kind of a father does that to their kid? All just because he wants to beat his wife in a race. (laughs) You know, what's wrong with me? And I felt so bad. And, you know, Peter was like, no, Dad, it's okay. We won. We beat her. You know, and, uh, you know, he was good with it. But I... To this day, I apologize to him. It's like, Pete, I'm so sorry. It's like, he just rolls like, Dad, this is over with. Like 30 years ago, this is over with. Um, but few things in life are worse than letting someone down that you care about. And Peter, in the story of, of the gospel we've read, Peter loved Jesus. And because of the extent of his failure, because of the extent of the disappointment, he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now we know that when someone is, that what we're talking about here, he, he, was, he was full of remorse, regret. And when that happens, if we're not careful, that can turn into guilt. And the danger there is that regret and guilt can keep a person from reengaging with life, which can actually lead to depression. Now, while the text doesn't tell us directly, it's not hard to imagine that Peter was thinking his failure was not redeemable. I think he probably began to believe that everything he thought about himself was a lie. Everything he thought he could do, he was full of self-doubt. And whereas some failure can be overcome with determination and a never-give-up spirit, like what we read in the, or we talked about at the very beginning, Other forms of failure require healing for the person to get over and recover. Now, fortunately for us, the story doesn't end here in this moment with Peter at the lowest of lows. 
We know that Jesus was crucified. We also know that on Sunday he rose again. And after his resurrection, Jesus was with his followers for about 40 days. So after he rose again, there was about 40 days that he was with them. Um, and we don't, it's very, the, the, the text is very, it's not real clear as to what that looked like. We have a few snippets of his interactions. But sometime within those 40 days, Jesus was hanging out with the apostles and some of his other followers. And after dinner, Jesus looked over at Peter and he said, let's, let's take a walk. And this is where we pick up the second part of our passage here. John chapter 21, starting with verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said, follow me. Now, just as there are some noteworthy things about Peter in the previous passage, there are some noteworthy things about Jesus in this passage as well. And one of those things I think is really significant is that Jesus pursued Peter. Jesus pursued Peter. Now, right before this, ver- uh, the section we just read, in fact, immediately right before the verse in verse 14, um, it, um, uh, John, the writer of this chapter, said, this is now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So this is the third incident, you know, the whole thing of feed my sheep. And immediately after this, you know, as Jesus and him, as Jesus and Peter were talking about feed my sheep, do you love me? It says in verse 20, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. The way the story is written, if you just read it, you'd think that they're sitting around the table still and Jesus is asking Peter these questions in front of everyone else. It's not. He actually said, let's go for a walk. And the two of them by themselves went and had the conversation. You see, I think, here's my thought that the previous two encounters, the previous two times that Jesus was with the apostles, Peter was aloof and distant. He knew something was wrong in the relationship. I mean, he felt it, and he was too embarrassed and too ashamed, though, to say anything to Jesus about it. Physically distant, emotionally distant, there is a huge chasm relationally between the two. And so Jesus calls him out for a private conversation. Let's go for a walk. See, that's the thing we need to remember. Jesus always seeks us out. He always seeks us out to restore relationships. doesn't matter what we've done, who we've hurt, the degree to which we've hurt. He always seeks us out to restore relationships. And also, Jesus will never embarrass us. He didn't have this conversation with Peter in front of everyone else. He said, let's talk. And although Peter had given up on himself, Jesus did not give up on Peter. 
You know, if I know someone's struggling, you know, that there has been something in the past or something, and that's like, for me, it's a lot water under the bridge and I want to move on. I'll say something to them, you know, to, to put them at ease. It's like, dude, you know, I just want you to know we're good. We're okay. You know, we can move on. <laughs> Peter's dad stopped talking about the sled. I'm fine. Um, I didn't need therapy because of it. Well, I'm good. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't actually do that, does he? He doesn't make it easy for Peter. He, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He went right to the wound and stuck his finger in it. I mean, that's really what was happening. That's really what, do you love me? He just went right there. And I'm always like, why does he ask him three times? And I'm sure you, many of you, if you've been in churches long enough, you've probably heard different conversations about that, that Jesus uses the different word of love, and Peter's response to the different words of love there. That There's also part of me that thinks that Jesus did this for psychological reasons as well, and that he allowed Peter to affirm his love for him for each one of the previous denials. Jesus knew exactly what Peter needed in order to be healed, and he put the matter behind him. Or he knew what he needed to be healed and to put the matter behind him. And that's what Jesus does for all of us. He knows how we're wired. He knows each of us are different. What he does for Len is different than what he does for me. Um, It's just the way he does for all of us. Jesus' grace was greater than Peter's failure. His grace was greater than Peter's failure. You want some great news? He does the same for all of us too. The same is true for all of us. While you may not have denied knowing Jesus, I can promise you there are other things in your life that would disqualify you before God. Romans 3.23, Paul tells us, For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. All of us. None of us are righteous before God. But just like Peter, or just like with Peter, Jesus doesn't leave us in our sin. Romans 3, verse 24, it says, And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So we all have failed, but we all have a way forward. Peter's failure was not final, but led to a defining moment in his life. We read in Acts that Peter does some amazing things in the name of Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, really cool things happening in the first part of Acts that rest with Peter. He didn't let his failure define the rest of his life. He didn't listen to the lies from the enemy telling him that he was unworthy of God's love. And he didn't listen to the lies 